0: So we're continuing this message series that we've been uh, going through this whole summer through the Gospel of John as we've been studying, again, the life of Jesus. And these last few weeks, again, a a big thank you to Ben for filling in for me these last few weeks Uh, And as he taught chapters 10 and 11. Actually, we both taught chapter 10. I taught chapter 10 up at family camp. Uh, He taught it down here. Uh, And then last week, um, uh, I was on just our family vacation as Ben uh, taught chapter 11 um, but as we look at these last two chapters, these are very significant chapters within the gospel of John. In, in chapter 10 and chapter 11, we have three of the seven I am statements of Jesus. In the beginning part of chapter 10, um, Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. Then later on in chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And these are both connected to that uh, to that same um, story right? that Jesus tells in chapter 10. And then in chapter 11, we have the raising of Lazarus and, and this, this, this culmination of the gospel and of, of, of this incredible miracle that happens as Jesus steps up his game, right, in the miracle department as far as he, he says, okay, no, you, you won't, uh, you know, acknowledging these other things I've done. Well, who else can raise the dead? Right? Nobody can, right? Jesus does that. He steps up in 11, but in the midst of that chapter, at the end of chapter 11, He makes the biggest I am statement thus far. Okay, where in chapter 11, verse 25, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. As he makes this claim, again, this this I am statement is is the biggest summary of his life. It's the biggest summary of the mission of the Messiah. Remember, John, again, his goal here in writing this gospel is to, to convince us without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. Right, and this I am statement at the end of chapter 11, again, is the all-encompassing statement of Jesus, of the mission of the Messiah, to be the resurrection and the life. Now, chapter 11 is a very significant chapter in John, not only because of this incredible miracle that happens there, But as we look at the bigger picture of the gospel and and, and at at the goal he's making and also all the stories that he tells us in the gospel, okay, chapter 11 is the tipping point. It's the climax. It was all building up to chapter 11. And now uh, in chapter 11 and in this huge I am statement, again, is the culmination of Jesus' life. Also in chapter 11, this miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus out of the grave is the last straw for the Pharisees and the religious leaders. It is after this miracle where they realize we have to get rid of Jesus, period. As as we see, again, this, this tipping point and this climax of the gospel, then we start into chapter 12, which is where we're picking up today. Now, chapter 12, on through the rest of the gospel is focused on Jesus' death and on his resurrection. In fact, when you see chapters 12 through chapters 20, literally describes less than a week of Jesus' life. Six days are covered from chapter 12 to chapter 20. Chapter 11, again, is the turning point, right? We we get that point. Now we turn a corner. Okay? And, and not only does chapter 12 through 20 um, cover Timeline-wise, the last week of Jesus' life. But, but this is also, though, where we see Jesus kind of step up his game a little bit in his teachings. That we can sense, right, that, that obviously Jesus knew that this was the last week of his life. And yet, we see in his teaching that there, there are many hard-hitting things in not just chapter 12, but in the coming chapters, Hey, as Jesus knows that this is his last week, this is the moment where he's like, "I only have six days left. There's so much I still have to teach them." And Jesus um, gets very blunt, right? And he teaches some very hard truths, right? This is this is kind of the it's the scramble in a lot of ways, right? Where like I don't have time to to beat around the bush or to pull any punches. I'm just got to tell you how it is because I only have six days left, right? And this chapter twelve is just like the rest of them, is that it's very hard-hitting. And Jesus holds nothing back. So consider this your warning. There's some hard teachings ahead. right? And Jesus is truthful and straightforward, and then I have to be as well, because that's my job, is to teach you the Scriptures. And that's what the Scripture does. So we're going to jump right into our text this morning, uh, chapter or. John chapter 12, we're going to start with verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible with you, please open with me to John uh, chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible with you or don't have one, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats, so you're welcome to use. You'll notice on the outline is the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. So we're going to jump in, John chapter 12, verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold in the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, because he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. As we read this passage, these these first 11 verses, it it seems like, right, on on the surface that that Jesus hasn't really stepped up his game very much. Right, it's easy to kind of read over this, this short interaction, right, at this dinner, and just to move on. But but we would be remiss if we did so, because I believe that there are some very important messages in this brief exchange between Jesus and Judas and Mary and all those that were at this dinner. Again, we can see there are, are several different people here at this dinner. I mean, Lazarus is there. It's it's at the the, the house, right, of Mary and Martha, which we we've learned about them earlier, and And yet, there's obviously the disciples are there as well as as many others, right? Because, again, Jesus at this point is a pretty popular guy around, you know, Israel. He's made a reputation for himself. In fact, we can see, right, the text tells us because he raised Lazarus from the dead, right, it's a culmination now. There's all kinds of people that want to come not just see Jesus but also to see Lazarus, right? And we see, again, the Pharisees and the religious leaders and their reaction to this, Right, as we, we see, again, not only now do they say they've got to kill Jesus, but they say we also have to kill Lazarus. Right? We see, again, these different roles right, of, of Martha and, and her serving dinner. And then we have these two perspectives of Mary and Judas. Again, Mary and Judas get called out in the middle of this, uh, this dinner. Right? And when Mary, because of her actions, right, Mary anoints Jesus with this expensive perfume. And then we have Judas, who calls her out. And he calls her out for being wasteful and frivolous with this expensive perfume. And as we see, again, these actions of Mary and of Judas, I want to present us with the same question that Jesus presents to them. Now, again, we got to read between the lines. We see this, because again, we see, right, this... The sinner, Jesus only speaks two sentences in this text, but but he says a lot more. They hear Jesus is asking them, and, and therefore the question to us is, what is the motivation for your decisions? What is the motivation for your decisions? Because... Your decisions, right? Your motivations for why you make your decisions, your motivations is what dictates your outward actions. Now, obviously, we see the outward actions was Mary anointing Jesus' feet, right? The outward action was Judas calling her out, right? But yet Jesus digs deeper, right? As he, he presents to them and saying, what is the motivation for your decision? Okay, Jesus tells us Mary's motivation. Okay, Mary's motivation was to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, And to prepare him to accomplish his God given mission, right, which was to die on a cross. She anointed him for his death. And so, what was Mary's motivation? Right, what was her underlying perspective? She was fully surrendered to God's plan, she fully surrendered. Not only her own life and her role in that plan, but she was fully surrendered to Jesus' role in God's plan. But she understood, right, and was living out the teachings of Jesus that, because he's already told them, I'm gonna die. Right? And so her, again, her motivation, right, was being fully surrendered to God's plan. And not just to to acknowledging Jesus' role as Messiah, but also fully acknowledging her own role in that plan, right? As she anoints him with the perfume and, and washes his feet with her hair. And then there's Judas. Now Judas had very different motivations. But Judas truly decided that he was the authority and not Jesus. Right, Mary was fully surrendered, right? That was her motivation. Yet Judas decided, I'm going to look out for myself. Right? And those were his true motivations behind his decisions. Again, obviously, just as the text tells us, right, that Judas had been given a specific role in the group as well. Right? And that role naturally came with a level of responsibility. Right? He was the treasurer. He kept all of their money for Jesus and the disciples and just their whole group. Okay, that was the role that he was in. And that that role came with a level of responsibility. And Judas simply made a financial observation and suggestion. Right? On the surface, it seems like Judas is just living in to his role. And in fact, even the suggestion he gives is a pretty logical one. Right? That perfume was worth a year's wages. We could have sold it and we could have given that money to the poor. That's true. Right, on the surface, this is a very logical suggestion. However, Jesus knew his real motivations. Right? And, and his real motivations, again, were not righteous. Right? Jesus knew that Judas had not fully surrendered to his authority at all. Especially to the authority of God. Right? Judas made this decision based on his own interests and on his true motivations. Right, which was, well, a year's wages running through the, the treasury of the group means that I have more money to skim off the top of. Again, what is the real authority in our life? Are we going to give fully surrendered authority to Jesus, or are we going to keep authority for ourselves and, do, and look out for ourselves? Because the essence of the sinful nature is selfishness. Right? And Judas's real motivation here was selfish. Is God our authority or is he not? There's no gray area. Right? And we see that Judas, again, had decided that Jesus was not the authority, that he was going to be authority of his own life. Again, in, in one of the other Gospels, Jesus makes a statement in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus asked us to give him the authority in our lives too. Judas, on the surface, was playing that part, but his real motivations were far different. I'll tell you, as the pastor of this church, I have a level of authority that comes with my role. Right? And part of that authority is that I must make decisions that are going to affect all of us. And right? as we look at this, this recent season right, of our world and realize that this has not been an easy season for any leader, right? whether you're leading a business, a church, or even just your own family, there have been very hard decisions that have had to be made. But as we look at this, again, I, just as I've sought God about about how do I make decisions for this church and and to see that I have to acknowledge, right, that God is the authority. And and as I've sought and prayed and and pondered, right, and struggled over decisions through this last season, right, I just continue to hear God's voice speak to me and say, Brian, it's my church. It's not yours. It's my church, trust me. I can handle this. It's my church, not yours. And that's the truth. And, And as I look at that, right, this is God's church, it is not mine. I am here to build God's kingdom, not mine. Right, in fact, when you think about this idea and this concept, when I look at every area of my life, I have to acknowledge that none of it is mine and that God is the authority. Again, because everything that I have is God's and he is giving me the important role of managing his stuff. Again, it's not my church. It is God's church. I look at my wife and my kids and realize it's not my family. It is God's family. And am I going to lead them in a way that honors God? As I look at my calendar, I have to acknowledge that it's not my time, it's God's time. And will I invest my effort in ways that are going to bring honor to him and how I spend my time? As I look at my finances, it's God's money. Will I spend it wisely to make the biggest impact I can for God's plans and not just my own? Judas wasn't looking at life this way at all. And Mary was. She did not waste a year's wages on anointing Jesus. I mean, it was God's anyways. What she did was she used the best that she could get because that's exactly what God deserves. Our very best. He's the creator of the world. He's the ultimate authority. He deserves our best. And that's exactly what Mary gave him. The very best that she could get her hands on. And then we see again Jesus' reply, this this two-sentence rebuke of Judas. Right? And we realize that Jesus' reply was not about ministry at all. It was about a heart condition. Okay, because as he responds to Judas, right, he again, God knows. Jesus knew that Judas was good at hiding his real motivations. He used the facade of ministry, helping the poor, to further his real agenda, which was to have more money to skim from. Now, as we look at this heart condition of Judas, and compare to To Mary's motivations. We have to sit back and say. What are my real motivations for my decisions? Because this same truth that was true about Mary and is true about Judas. Is is also true of us. Because we are really good at hiding our real motivations. And this is a hard truth to say, but it's the truth, and it's what God's Word says, so I have to say it. People in the church today are really good at hiding their real motivations. We say it's a prayer request, but we really just want to gossip. We complain about the church budget and how it's used, but we never donate any of our money. We say we want to journey forward in our faith and to grow closer to Christ, but we don't change our schedules to include daily spiritual disciplines or consistent church involvement. We want the church to grow and to reach new people for Christ, but we never invite, pray for, or share Christ with our family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors. We're good at saying lots of things but we're also good at hiding our real motivations. And the hard truth is the condition of your heart is what dictates your decisions and therefore your actions. And the truth is that God cares way more about your heart condition than he does about your outward actions. Let me say that again. God cares way more about your heart condition than he does about your outward actions. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus tells us, he says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What are the motivations for your decisions? Who's the real authority? Is it God, or is it still myself? What's the condition of your heart? Because the the hard reality, it is it is time for us to take off the mask that we're be hiding behind. Now I'm not talking about the mask you have to wear at Walmart, okay? But the mask that you have over your heart. Right, the mask that we put on on our way to church. Right, the walls that we built up in our heart that we we hide behind. Because that's what Jesus called out Judas to do. Right, he commends Mary and he calls out Jesus and says, guess what, guys? It's time to get real. Because we have to admit what the real motivations are for our decisions. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that no matter what the current condition of your heart is, it's not permanent. The good news is that the mission of the Messiah was to transform hearts. Right? The good news Right, is that Jesus does die, but he doesn't stay dead. He rises again. Right? The good news is that no matter where you are right now and what your true motivations are right now, they can be made pure. Again, it is time to confess our real motivations to Jesus and to start making decisions based on him truly being the authority of our lives. And then Jesus makes this teaching, this hard-hitting teaching that they needed to hear, that we need to hear, right? And then Jesus leads by example. Okay, this next section in John 12, verses 12 through 19, is the triumphal entry. Jesus makes this, this hardcore teaching to them, and then Jesus goes out and he leads by example as he submits to the authority of the Father through the triumphal entry. Again, remember, through the whole gospel, Jesus has been saying, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come. And now he leaves this dinner after calling out Judas, and he goes out there, and he gets on a donkey, and he enters the city. And it says he humbles himself to the Father. Right, Jesus leads by example of what he called out Judas for, and what he commends Mary for, and what he calls all of us to, and then Jesus says, follow me. Because here I go. Again, his outward actions show the condition of his heart. And then after he does it, after he enters the city, then he teaches the crowd how they can have their hearts transformed. So here's the good news of the day. I understand this first part was pretty hard, wasn't it? Here's the good news. Okay, we're going to read verses 20 through 36. Picking up John 12, verse 20. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And Jesus replied, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciples must follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. So Father, bring glory to your name. And then a voice spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. And when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to them. And then Jesus told them, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come. When Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. And he said this to indicate how he was going to die. And the crowd responded, we understood from the scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man will die? Just who is the Son of Man anyway? And Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light where there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. So again, we see Jesus leads by example. He enters in the city, and then, and then we, we get the key to our hearts being transformed. Okay, Jesus gives us that key in verses 25 and 26. He says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. But those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it. For eternity. Because anyone who wants to serve me must follow me. Because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. How are our hearts transformed? By giving up our lives. Giving up our lives to who? To God. To acknowledging him as the ultimate authority. Again, Jesus, Jesus tells us, if you hold on to your life. Right? if you hold on to your own selfishness then you will lose it you will lose your life but to be a true servant of jesus you must die to ourself. Right? to be a true servant of jesus we must die to ourselves so what is the motivation for your decision All right, what is the motivation for your decisions? Are you going to die to yourself and, and submit to God's authority? Or are you going to hold on to it? Again, I wish Jesus was a little more clear on the results of those decisions. Right, he's, he's crystal clear. If you hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, you will save it for eternity. Are we going to be more like Mary and submit to the authority of Jesus, or are we going to be like Judas and hold on with everything we have to ourselves? John later in in his writings, the same John that wrote the gospel, wrote some letters later on, and, and, and in his letter, he wrote in 1 John verses 1, 5 through 6. He said, This is the message we heard from Jesus, and we now declare to you God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Again, as John calls all of us out the same way that Jesus calls out Judas, right? because he tells us that we are living a lie if we are not practicing the truth. Again, I wish he was more clear. What does he really mean? Oh, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? We're living a lie if we claim Jesus, but don't practice the truth. Judas was living a lie. And Jesus calls him out. What is Jesus calling out in your life? Are you living a lie? I hope not. But if you are, right, the good news is that your heart can be changed. You can pray. You can confess. You could start in a new direction today. Again, the tipping point, right in the gospel. I, is 11 to 12, and the tipping point in our lives can be like, I will no longer live a lie. Period. I'm going to take my faith seriously, I'm going to confess my real motivations. I, and when I change my heart, so will my actions change. And then we get to this last section of chapter 12, verses 37 through 50. Okay, and this is the aftermath of this hard hitting. And we can kind of feel the tension in the air in this room right now. Can you imagine the tension in Jerusalem? Right? And and the aftermath of this teaching should not be a shocker to us, right? Is the fact that Jesus created a divided culture because of this teaching. Now we understand a divided culture, don't we? I mean, look out your window. Right? We live in a more divided culture now than we probably ever have. Okay, but there were some very clear divisions, okay? And, and, and John describes them to us here. Okay, the, the first division was between believers and non-believers. Okay, we see in verse 37, he says, but, but despite all the miraculous signs he had have done, most of the people still did not believe in him. I mean, that's true today, isn't it? We Then, though, we see that there were those that did believe in him. We see in verses 42 and 43 that it says many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for the fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. So we see there, there was this, this natural division of believers and unbelievers in Jesus. Right? But then we see here, though, right, that John points out that there was, there was even division among those that believed. Right? There were those that, that believed and were, were upfront about it and, and took everything that came with believing in Jesus. Right? But there were also those that believed but wouldn't admit it. And so there's this further division within the believing crowd. And I will tell you, this same division is still true today, isn't it? There are some that that openly confess Jesus Christ, right, and just take all of the, the ripples and ramifications that come with that. And there are some, again, that believe in Jesus, but yet they hold back. Again, I encourage you to underline the phrase, loved human praise more than the praise of God. Because that is the real motivation for a lot of decisions. What's the real motivation to your decisions? It comes back to a heart issue, doesn't it? Right? Is your motivation to please God or is your motivation to please other people? Right? Because that was what divided the believers. It's all about a heart issue. Because the truth is that sometimes religion promotes human thinking rather than kingdom thinking. But again, Christianity is not about religion. Following Jesus is about a relationship with our creator. Following Jesus is about acknowledging him as our authority. It's about dying to ourselves. That's not a religion. But yet, religion can keep us worried about what other people think. And what do I look like to those other people at church? But that's religion. That's I'm not interested in religion. I'm interested in following Jesus, in an ongoing relationship with my Creator. And here we have at the very end of chapter 12, again, Jesus gives us some very clear teaching in verses 46 through 48. Where he says, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. Again, what's Jesus' point? He doesn't pull any punches. He tells us the truth. He says the truth is you still have time. Right? No matter what the motivation of your decisions are right now, no matter what the condition of your heart is right now, you can still follow me because he says, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. Right? But, but Jesus, again, that's what he said earlier in the text. Right, He said, come into the light while there is still time. Right? But Jesus is also very clear, isn't he? Right? That that time will run out. Right? Because the truth that Jesus tells us is you will be judged by your response to Jesus' message. I wish he was more clear. What did Jesus really mean? It's obvious what he means. He tells us the truth. It's not too late. That's the truth. But you will be judged. At the final judgment, you will be judged. But guess what? We're all still here, so the final judgment has not happened yet. There's still time. So what is the motivation for your decisions? Is your motivation to please God? Or is your real motivation to please others? is your motivation to please yourself? Come into the light. There's still time. is my final thought today. And that is this. Jesus says that his authority comes from the Father. So what's the motivation for your decisions? Is it to please God? Or to please people? And I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. I don't know if you're a believer or non-believer. I don't know if you are fully surrendered or, or have lots of masks and walls. But what I do know is that God wants to set you free, is that God wants to change your heart. And no matter where your heart is, he wants to continue to change your heart because we're still here, which means our journey isn't over. Right? I can be more like Christ tomorrow than I am today, no matter where you are on your faith journey. And I hope that wherever you are, you will do that right, if you need to confess your true motivation today, then do that. If you need to receive Christ as your Savior, then do that. If you, uh, again, need to rededicate your life or even just praise the Father for his provision, then do that today. But I encourage you to, to respond to the truth of God's word. Lord God, that is our prayer to you this morning. God, we confess that our hearts are not always right. But God, we believe in the power of your death and resurrection. Lord, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we believe, Lord, that you can transform our hearts, and we thank you for that today. And God, I pray, Lord, that no matter what the motivations are of our decisions before we came today, God, that they will be all about you when we leave. And God, as we go through this week, as we live out our faith, as we, Lord, live out faith, our true motivations, I pray, God, that you will give us the courage that we need. Lord, give us the stamina that we need. Lord, give us the focus that we need to live for you and to, Lord, to truly make you smile. Lord, help us this week, Lord, for that to be our motivation in every decision we make. is to please you, not other people. Lord, we thank you that you don't lead us down the wrong path. God, that your spirit, Lord, will take us to a place of freedom, to a place of being set free. God, to a place of salvation. Lord, I pray that as we go this week, that we will live fully into your will for us, that we'll hold nothing back. God, that the true motivation of all of our decisions will be you. Guide us as we go, in Jesus' name, amen.